0: This is the Ned Group Investments podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment
1: world and how they might be relevant to you. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us today for the third quarter update of the Ned Group Investments Rainmaker Fund. My name is David Levinson of Ned Group Investments and joining us from the other side of Table Mountain today, I'm very happy to have Anthony Cedric on the line from ABAX Investments. Ant is the portfolio manager of our Rainmaker Fund, as well as the Entrepreneur Fund. And of course, this quarter is going to take on a slightly different tone, as many of you are aware. On the 1st of September, we opened up the Rainmaker Fund to its 30% offshore allocation. So Ant will touch a little bit in terms of what they've been doing in the last month and a half from stock selection and adding to the portfolio. The team at ABEX have been managing a global equity fund for almost seven years now. And they've demonstrated their capabilities in terms of global stock selection, as well as portfolio management. Of course, you are probably well aware of the format of these sessions. It will be roughly 15 to 20 minutes of presentation from Ant. On the right-hand side of your screen, there is a Q&A function, so please do post your questions during the course of the presentation. And at the back end, I will then ask Ant many of these as we can possibly get through. So without further ado, I'd like to hand over to Ant. Thank you, Ant.
0: Thank you, Dave, and good morning, everybody. Thanks for the introduction. I've got a short time this morning. And I don't want to try and cover too much, but certainly looking forward to talking about the significant change in the, in the mandate that we've been able to take advantage of from the beginning of September. If we look at the first slide, just a very quick update on where we are in the domestic equity market. Don't need to tell anybody in this audience, it's been a pretty unexciting place to be invested for quite a substantial period of time now. If you look at the chart that you see in the background there, that's just the uh, JSE All-Share Index going back 10 years. The red line that I've drawn there is just at the 50,000 level. I think we closed last night at around 55,000. You can see for over six years now, we've effectively been been moving sideways. And then in the more recent times, I've highlighted just the the 30% drop that we saw in response to the Explosion of the COVID pandemic worldwide started in February of this year, 30 percent drop. And we've also seen a substantial recovery from the low point, which was recorded, I think, on the 19th of March. For the last quarter, we've effectively been going sideways. The table that you can see there just shows the year-to-date numbers. You can see the All Share Index is now down 2.5 percent year-to-date. And that within that, there's been a massive divergence in relative performance. You can see the resource sector over on the left-hand side, up just under 12 percent, has been the standout and really only place that there have been any decent returns to be earned. Both the the industrial sector barely up, uh, largely driven by the very heavy NUSPASS weighting, of course, and a very long list of companies that have underperformed. Financials have been very weak. You can see the property sector on the far right-hand side, the standout underperformer down 46 percent, and unfortunately, mid and small caps. I've got a slide at the end for entrepreneur, have also been a very neglected sector and big underperformers for the year to date. If we look at Rainmakers specifically, I look back, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, what has what has helped and and, and what have been headwinds to the performance of the fund? A couple of uh, positive points I'd note is the the NUSPASS process combination with the unbundling of the process out of NUSPASS. Uh, it's now 21% of the portfolio has been a very strong performer. I can assure you it's not a position that we we take lightly and, and, and are very, very aware of the size of that position and worry about it a great deal. Clearly, it's driven by the prospects for Tencent. Unfortunately, the market's still not prepared to attribute any value to the rump portfolio of assets that are held. Although there have been recently some encouraging signs that management continue to prioritise and are very aware of this issue, it's the main bugbear for any investor and and are committed to taking further actions to um, try and unlock that discount. BAT and Raynet off a low point in Q4 of 2018 for tobacco, a time of great uncertainty, have staged a bit of a recovery. We have had substantial exposure to the resource or the basic material sector, as it's called today, primarily through Anglo-American BHP, cumulatively those of more than 10% position in the portfolio and have been for some time. And we've preferred those diversified miners to the mining producers, the direct mining producer exposure, which is something that we're always a little bit circumspect about considering the amount of risk pure mining producer particularly a precious metal miner in South Africa, are exposed to. You know, having said that, that's it's not a sector that we dismiss simply because there's a great deal of risk and there's a great deal of unpredictability. And for the last six months, we've had the largest exposure to direct mining producers in South Africa that, than we've had in this portfolio, if I think back over the last 20 years. I think this will come back to be highlighted in a subsequent slide. We've had almost no exposure to the uh, property sector, a fraction of 1% in growth point, which has been reasonably defensive, but really none of the others, we haven't uh, owned any of the other stocks in the sector at all at uh, at any point in the last 10 years. So that's been a, gr- a good thing. in The context of the price slide that I showed you, and we've had very limited exposure to discretionary consumer retail businesses, which we continue to feel will face tremendous headwinds, notwithstanding, the short-term assistance they may get from the extension of the emergency social grant that uh, Cyril Ramaphosa announced yesterday. So while those were all good, unfortunately, we we didn't get it all right. Some of the positions that we had that have detracted from our performance have been on the bank side. So we'd had a quite a, a relatively big exposure here at the end of Q1 of this year, prior to the, the COVID crisis where valuations we felt have got to a pretty attractive level. We were expecting not very exciting, but gradual economic growth out of South Africa. Clearly the COVID pandemic has tipped that on its head completely. We did react quite quickly and it reduced our, our, our overall banking exposure and focused it purely into the higher quality names that we have a higher confidence in. But all of the, the entire sector has been very hard hit and has not staged um, much, if if any, recovery yet. While you see the market has recovered quite substantially, you've got the banks and the discretionary retailers and the property stocks even worse, continuing to languish at very low levels. We also had some SASL exposure, which we bought thinking or on our analysis that the firm was through the worst of the difficulties of the Lake Charles project implementation. Unfortunately, even though it was 90 percent complete, the management of the company uh, managed to to screw it up uh, even further, and uh, and that has uh, detracted from uh, performance, in particularly in Q1 of this year. And uh, as a domestic equity fund, which rainmak has been 100% domestic equity up until the first of September 2020, you know, we did have you know we have to you know have a build a diversified portfolio. We we've been in more defensive things like we've that we felt will survive that occupy niches where they're quite dominant, and uh, the limited exposure, you know, the entire sector has been very severely negatively affected by COVID, and uh, we haven't managed to escape it completely, despite being in what we considered relatively defensive positions. And the notable ones there were CUP and Bidvest, so where are we, where are we now? This is an update of a slide that I think hopefully many of you have seen already before, a message we've been communicating in that that, that first list of things, you know, what do we need, you know, for for prospects for domestic equity to be getting a little bit more exciting and a little bit more positive? And what were the problems that we were facing? I'm not going to ask you just to you know glance glance through that list. I think you've seen it before. For 2018 and for 2019, you know these have been issues that have worried us. These have been things we've been looking for, but have found no evidence of improvement in. And then, although you know, since Surah Ramaphosa's election as head of the ANC at the end of 2017, we had been starting to see some you know gradual signs of of gradual improvement absolutely glacial unfortunately in the rate of progress and pre-covid at the end of of q1 of 2020 we were seeing mixed signals you know in some things a little bit you know for example on the uh, corruption accountability we were seeing a little bit of activity happening in the fixed investment space but but nothing to get excited about and of course with the, with the advent of COVID, you know, all of this has largely been turned on its head. I, I don't know how many of you have studied the detail or, or have spent any time around the economic recovery plan. We've been engaged with uh, Business Unity South Africa on all of the detail of this. There's, an, there's, there's encouragement in that there seems to be for the first time, a sort of a deep understanding and acknowledgement, both from the public, from the state, from business and from from labor unions, that this crisis has has galvanized more action, a greater willingness to negotiate, a greater willingness to compromise on, for example, the state's very socialist agenda that they've had, for example, in dealing with public public enterprises, or many of which are in absolutely shocking states. but but I'm afraid to say, it's rather like you know, Groundhog Day here in South Africa. As patriotically as we look for evidence of improvement and things going in the right direction, the reality is that very little rubber hits the road and we would continue to, to err on the side of caution in that regard. As much as we want to believe that progress will happen, I'll only believe it when I actually see it. Turning then to some specifics within Rainmaker and the change in the mandate, which was effective, as Dave said, from the 1st of September, we're absolutely delighted to have this opportunity. We've invested very heavily in our global equity capabilities for the last seven years. We've built a track record in a pure ec- at a global equity fund that uh, we're very proud of and working very hard at maintaining. The performance of Rainmaker. Relative to other general equity funds has been a huge frustration for us in that the vast majority of the portfolios in that sector have been able to avail themselves of the 30% offshore exposure, whereas we've been completely tied to South Africa. You've seen what our domestic equity market has done. Relative to that, we've performed okay but nothing too exciting. But if we'd we'd had the 30% offshore, as most of the other funds have done with with global equity markets, particularly in the US having done as well as they have, and of course, compounded with the weakening rand, the performance of of Rainmaker would look substantially better. The obvious question would be to say, aren't we making this change uh, too late? Based on the comments I've just made, and with respect to the outlook and the prospects for our domestic economy, we certainly don't think so and we've taken full advantage of the RAND, which is appreciated by 14% from its weakest point this year in April. We it got to over 19 to the dollar. We've used this period of the last six or seven weeks. Looking at the details this morning, the fund is now 18 and a half percent is offshore. How do we manage it? Well, it's not just 70% Rainmaker, 30% ABEX Global Equity Fund. And we don't want to use the offshore budget to buy RAND hedges that we can do here in South Africa already. The good examples there being British American Tobacco Nuspass. We're not going to sell the Nuspass and buy 10 cent offshore, particularly with the huge discount that's there. And that's reference also to the point of double dip. What do you get extra? You get direct exposure to our best international ideas. These are obviously going to be positions held also in, uh, in, our, in our pure global equity fund, but a little bit more intelligently with respect to the composition and the direct holdings that you'll find in Rainmaker. Already you some of the names that are held in the portfolio are listed there, Amazon, Alibaba, Anui Conch, which is the biggest cement producer in China, microsoft samsung i think you'll be familiar with those names montclair was a very interesting niche luxury goods business that has been a huge success for our fund and which we're still very excited about how much it can grow the rest of the names you might be familiar with and i'm looking forward together with steve minar who is our is our lead in the global equity space, sharing some of the details of some of these very exciting businesses with you on on future quarterly commentaries and presentations. Where we raised the money from to achieve this? Uh, Largely out of reduction of banks' exposure, the little remaining uh, retailers that we did own. There's no need to own an industrial holding company like Remgro, for example, which was sold out completely and, and generally across the other local things. What largely stays the same is the holding in Nuspas and Cent British American Tobacco. And we still have a very big exposure to the domestic basic materials sector, which we expect to benefit tremendously from a weakening rand and still stronger commodity prices. So looking at the fund and some of the substantial changes that you can see from a sectoral basis between July and October, so this is right up to date. This is not uh, just as at the end of September, you can see the basic materials component remains largely intact as does the industrial rand hedges which is predominantly as already said nutpass and british american tobacco but you can see the domestic side the left-hand side of that pie chart the financials domestic and other and domestic consumer have all have all dropped substantially to make space for the global equity component that's come into the portfolio Looking at the top 10, the holdings between the funds, uh, just a couple of points to note, note is, you'll notice for the first time there's a direct name, Alibaba, which has come into the top 10 holding. I also can show you, cumulatively, we own, we own all the platinum stocks. Cumulatively, they're 7.4% of the portfolio. You can still see the big exposure to anglers and BHP, and the relative to where we were a few months ago, you can see the exposure to First Rand Standard Bank and Sunlum uh, are all substantially lower. Before we move on to questions, just a couple of comments on entrepreneur. You'll recall from the second slide of this presentation that the mid and small cap space has been particularly hard hit in so far year to date. That's not really a great surprise to us considering the, the decline in economic growth prospects that's that's happened uh, for our domestic economy. If I look at the quarter, the standout performer has been a large exposure to Royal Buffer and Platinum, as well as Afrimat, which is largely an iron ore producer. Uh, more than 50% of their profits come from an iron ore mine today in comparison to just the pure quarrying business that it has been historically. And unfortunately, on the on the right-hand side, some of our, our domestic, more, more conservative businesses that we would expect to be quite protective, including Adcock and Suntum, for specific reasons, have been have been a little bit weak in the last quarter if you get the chance i'd encourage you to read the entrepreneur q3 quarterly commentary where we go into some detail around why we like both uh, and continue to like both royal bafficking and Santam in in the portfolio naspas as you know is is a peculiarity of this portfolio that is an historic situation and despite our frustrations Around the tremendous discount that's, that's that's trapped in the structure, we are slightly more encouraged that before the end of the year we'll see another announcement from the company around a step aimed at uh, tackling unlocking the discount in the structure. We remain hopeful, and uh, we'll we'll see uh, whether that comes to fruition. So very very I know time is short with this thing and I don't want to avalanche you with too much information so let me pause there and uh, see if there are any questions
1: Excellent thanks very much for that uh, thorough presentation and we had a few initial questions coming in regarding performance at the start of the presentation you did touch on that in subsequent slides but I think it's probably worth having a relook again I mean you made the comment about Rainmaker focusing purely on SA historically and if we were to rewind sort of 24 months or two years ago the Rainmaker was probably performing quite well in terms of its category and has really struggled probably in the last 18 months or so and then another comment around the funds that have performed relatively well in that category that have been SA only focused I imagine a lot of them were probably overweight and a lot of their contribution came from the resource sector and and more focused mining companies, whereas Rainmakers typically stayed away from those and preferred some of the diversified. You did comment on adding a lot of the PGM basket stocks recently. So maybe talk a little bit to to those comments around performance and maybe a sense in terms of comfort that incumbent investors can have in ABEX and the process going forward. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Dave. So I think those those comments are entirely accurate. You know if we'd had only anglo's bhp Nuspass, and some gold shares and some platinum shares at very big exposures we would look like heroes i think that's not our approach to be that aggressive we we really don't like the volatility and the unpredictability of mining producers you can look like a hero in gold shares one day and a and a, and a complete zero the, the next uh, you know having said that we we think that platinum producers at the moment are are printing money with the rhodium price particularly where it is there they are you know poor cash is pouring into these businesses and and they're going to pay down the debt i think for us the interesting thing is going to be how they're managing costs when we next see them in the next quarter which they've been notoriously bad at doing and 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 how, how much debt has come down so for the time being we for us are you know very aggressively positioned? You can see the weightings that we have now. I, I know that the funds that are you know at the top of the table have had you know multiples of that degree of exposure in their portfolios, and you know uh, congratulate them on you know having had the courage to do so. You're never going to see that at ABEX. That's not our investment style. That's not our investment approach. We're more conservative. We build a more balanced portfolio where we have conviction, and I think we do have conviction. I think it's clearly demonstrated in those top ten holdings. We'll you know you'll you'll see it reflected in the portfolio yeah. i really wish CISO would split the general equity category into two those that have international and those that don't i really think it's a very flawed analysis to look at the performance across all of those funds given the huge disparities in in structure that exist and, and mandates i understand that that's Hopefully, again, a, a matter on their agenda, and that will, you know, allow investors to make, do a, a more intelligent analysis of that relative performance. Uh, and for the reasons I've given, you know, we remain very excited about you still wanting to stay with Rainmaker, and it now having this opportunity of having that 30%. Really gives us the best chance uh, for the future, and I really don't think that it's it's come too late.
1: Great, right, thank you. And, and then just looking at that exciting global component that you mentioned, typically we there are a few household names in there, your your Amazons and your Alphabets, but maybe you can touch a little bit on something that the audience might know less about. I know you, you have a certain stock called Trex, another one I think is called Tractor Supply. Or I'll give you full license here to maybe talk us through the investment case behind uh, one of the more interesting positions.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can get quite carried away here. Dave. So, so Trex is a really exciting business. It's an American company that that produces composite decking out of recycled plastic material. So in the US, decking around homes and uh, and commercial properties is extremely popular and 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 be, a very prevalent um, use of the material and goes back a long time. The problem with wood decking is it requires a high degree of maintenance and it has a limited uh, it, its lifespan is reasonably limited. This composite decking product, and it really—you must—you shouldn't think of those sort of crappy park benches that we see in South Africa made out of recycled plastic. Go and have a look at the website; they have a quite a wide variety of product, from you know, super premium to a, a more value a, a, a product. But it really has the look and feel of lumber. Point number one. Point number two: it requires no maintenance. Point number three is you can have you can install it yourself, or you get experts in to do it. Point number four: tricks. Is the is the market leader in the space they literally cannot keep up with demand as literally as they add production capacity it gets filled uh, the product in relatively short time is actually going to be available here in South Africa and of course the input cost is low and practically in, in infinite in supply and the fact that it is coming out of, of re you know your recycle it's recycled pl- plastic that's being used from an ESG perspective, it's an extremely appealing product and an investment for us. The management team we're comfortable with, the, the, the inventory cycle and the cash flow cycle is very attractive. We've done well out of it, and I, I just wish we were buying it on a cheaper valuation. But the runway for growth for this business, we think, is is still extremely attractive with many, many years to run. I look forward to, you know, maybe showing you in one of these presentations a few more slides on it, or maybe Steve, who knows it even better than I do, should do that.
1: Okay, thanks very much, Ant, and then a question here around SA banks, you've historically held quite sort of strong positions in SA banks, I think you trimmed a couple recently and dare I say, Mm -hmm. Nedbank was one of those, but First Rand has been a key holding for yourselves, I think Standard Bank is still in the portfolio. And um, the question is around, you know, is it the right time to sell these banks? You did have that pie chart showing a slightly lower allocation to to SA financials. Yes. And um, so maybe talk a little bit to to the timing of that.
0: Yeah, I think that's an excellent question because you would say, you know, you know, why are you, why are you selling now? I think the first point I will make is we 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 still have a very big exposure. You can see that they're both positions in the top ten holdings there we we need to we needed to trim across all of the domestic side of things which we feel is the right thing to do to start the the migration to the international side of things there's still you know an enormous amount of risk for the banks here in South Africa that's why we focused just on the two picks that we have standard and first Strand is the preferred ones uh, the valuations for all of them is 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 very low by historic standards but there's you know there's there's a great deal of uncertainty still around you know, what the recovery pattern is going to be here in South Africa from an economic recovery perspective. And although they've all taken you know severe views now that we have IFRS 9 around provisioning for bad debt, it's still very uncertain about just how, how much bad debt is going to be experienced by the banks over the course of the next two years and how quickly we will or won't recover. You know, we are we acknowledge where the ratings are. We acknowledge where that points. We acknowledge how conservative these banks have been managed. In fact, all South African banks um, and how well we weathered the global financial crisis. But this is not the global financial crisis. This is worse from a South African perspective. It's gonna. It's hit the South African economy uh, a lot harder harder than the GFC did. And but we think we they will weather and they will they will come through it all. And consequently, why we do want to retain a reasonably large exposure, as we have, and you can still see them both there in the top 10.
1: Thank you. And I haven't looked too closely at the markets today, but after Cyril's speech last night, I think the RAND might be slightly firmer. So I imagine that the banks have maybe held up reasonably well. At do stand to be corrected there. The other question, which is, is another interesting one, you did touch on it a little bit earlier, but I think it's probably worth readdressing, is the Nuspa's position. I think it's roughly, you said, 15% of the fund and it's more a sense of how you look to play that position going forward, now that 10 cents is a potential Mm. investment opportunity, or is it a matter of complementing that position? And do you, in your view with NASPAS, remain that material in the fund going forward?
0: So the short answer is in the short term, yes. So NASPAS is 15. If you add process, it's another five or six. So we're 20, 21% Mm -hmm. in the combination. They're essentially the same thing despite management's attempts to try and portray them as a little bit different, but they are essentially the same thing. The huge frustration is the enormous discount that sits there. I think, you know, we we feel Tencent, which has moved between 500 and 550-odd Hong Kong dollars a share, we think still has a very, very exciting growth future ahead of it, despite the scale that the business has grown to, and it really is, you know, enormous if you look at the, how big the business is already. But there are a variety of new angles that are already quite material and where we see growth actually continuing to accelerate. This during a, a year where the company has already pros- prospered enormously, being able to operate uh, practically seamlessly through the, the COVID pandemic. So we remain very positively disposed towards 10 cents. We do own it directly in, in our global equity fund where we don't own any NASPASS. So this is a more intelligent way of doing it, given Rainmakers thing, we're not going to own 10 cents. Obviously, if the if NASPASS management, and we can all only hope and pray, the board came out tomorrow and said we're going to unbundle the, the the 10 cent shares to our shareholders and then whatever's left will be that will force the market to put a valuation on the on the rump, which by the way we think are pretty good assets largely and you know we'll get this you know we'll get the sudden you know uh, spike and then in that case you definitely see a substantial you know reduction in the size of the position and uh, we would then you know probably want to earn the 10 cent shares directly but for the time being given the discount we're prepared to be patient and continue to agitate for change in dealing with the board
1: great thanks and and you made a comment earlier about tricks and using sustainable products in terms of in terms of decking and we've had a, another question come through here i know you guys performed really well in our annual sort of esg or responsible investment review and the comment is around plastic um, as a as a i guess an alternative for binding as opposed to bitumen in the in the tar process yeah uh, new group investments, we also get a fair amount of questions around renewable energy and how South African investors can get access to the renewable energy program in South Africa. and It's currently been quite difficult. So Cyril mm. did announce I think it was twelve gigawatts or twelve thousand megawatts additional to the grid, which I imagine the large chunk will come from the renewable space. It still yeah. remains quite difficult for for investors to gain access and and how would they go about doing so you know maybe the banks would be an avenue for that, and is it material in the bank's lives?
0: It's not really. It was interesting overnight. I saw Standard Bank had responded to a question around the, uh, you know, what proportion of their loan book is exposed to, you know, fossil fuel consumers, whether it's coal miners or, and and that I think the number was six and a half percent of their loan book. They've got another seven and a half percent exposed to agricultural activity, which is obviously at risk from climate change, from flooding and and severe weather events, but only point eight percent of their book exposed to uh, to lending to uh, renewable energy producers. So the industry is still largely in its infancy here in South Africa. We expect it to grow substantially. Clearly, that with the the big the big electricity consumers, like the mines, for example, for them now to be able to self-provide uh, is an extremely ex- exciting development, both for shareholders and obviously for those businesses themselves that they become less reliant on ESCOM. But you're right, Dave, there's, there's very limited exposure. The one which we do have is a firm called Rabex, which has done a lot of building work. So I think that's that's the first opportunity, is as these things come to the market, they're gonna to have to be built first. And there's extremely limited capacity in South Africa, given the decimation of our building and construction sector, you know, over the course of the last decade, or since the, its peak at the time of the 2010 Soccer World Cup, it's been absolutely decimated, as you all know. But there's a business called Rabex, which we do own in the fund, and we do own a bigger position even in, in, in Entrepreneur. Uh, and a big part of what they do and where they've had a great deal of success is in building these very large arrays for the solar plants and and, and, and obviously very steady uh, bases and part components for the, for the wind turbines. Mm-hmm. So in the short term, I think that's probably the best way to play it. But again, unfortunately, there's no direct way that that you can do so. One of the one of the positions we own in our global equity portfolio, but, and which we're hoping to introduce to Rainmakers, just had a, a very strong run in the last months. Is a company called TPI Composites. It's an American business. It's the biggest producer of the, the the turbine blades for wind farms in the world. It's had a bit of a difficult time, up and down time in the last couple of years around some manufacturing changes that they've had to implement. But it's a firm we follow very closely. We do own it in the in the Global Equity Fund, and it's certainly very much on the bench and one we're watching closely to, to, to buy for, for Rainmaker with the global mandate we have now.
1: Great. Thanks very much, and Unfortunately, we are a little bit short of time, and on that USG discussion, I know you wrote quite a, a substantial piece on, on Suntime, which has drawn quite a bit of attention in the wake of COVID. So if you know those listening can afford that that qu- third quarter commentary on Suntime and your view on that. Unfortunately, like I mentioned, this is all we have time for today. Ant and his team are always ready available to chat to clients, uh, whether it's by performance or the portfolio going forward. So please do get in touch with your near Group Investments Relationship Manager. Should you like to chat to ourselves or Ant and the team, like I mentioned, they're always happy, happy to chat to yourselves. Thanks again for joining us this week. This concludes our local fund manager report backs for, for the week. And next week we will be focusing on our Global Funds, so please join us for that, and from Anton, myself and the team of Group Investments, have a very good weekend, thank you. NetGroup Collective Investments is an authorised collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment
0: Schemes Control Act. Ned Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit nedgroupinvestments.co.za.